also give us a talk. Um, we talked over the phone briefly on idea, and um, as I told him, we had just brought a Parvati to the center, who now is invited at the center. He um, said he would talk a bit about the divinity of yoga coming down through the deities and the sacred knowledge coming to humans through the community. So we have that as a general topic, and we're so happy and blessed to have you here, and it's a great joy of your few mantras invoking our lineage of gurus and saints. Om Mangalam Gurudevaya Devye Matriksha Mangalam Mangalam Bhakta Brindevyo Sarvalokaya Mangalam Om Stapakaya Chadarmasya Sarvadharma Sarupine Avatara Varishtaya Ramakrishna Yate Namaha Om Jananim Shadadam Devim Ramakrishnam Jagatkurum Parapadmeta Yostritva Pranamami Muhurmur Om Sarashiva Samarambam Shankaracharam Ajamam Ashmarachara Prayantam Vande Gurum Param Param Vande Gurum Param Param Sri Guru Vyodamahasri Hari There is a special mantra I think we chant to invoke uh, uh, Patanjali, can you say that? I've never learned it, but that's very beautiful. Sutra that you can do something. You have a t- I'm, my method of talking, I have a text and then I tr- try to explain something from the text. Commentary is our tradition. But just talk about Patanjali is very hard because very little is known about Patanjali. Right? Uh, almost nothing. <laughs> you could almost say, you know, but actually it depends on who you're asking, of course. And if you ask a scholar, they'll tell you almost nothing. Right? We don't know when he was born. There's a, there's a three or four hundred year discrepancy between the different dates of his birth. Right, uh, but uh, um, where he was born is also not exactly known. Who his parents were not exactly known by his by uh, by uh, scholarly academic type of 
criteria, you know, historical criteria. Uh, uh, what part of India he was born is not so clear. <coughs> but what we have is, uh, uh, we, we have a text, right? The most famous text, of, er, of course, everybody here probably knows this, Yoga Sutra. Uh, the Sutra uh, on, uh, of the Ashtanga Yoga, the Eightfold Method of Yoga that he describes. But that's also not that easy to... Sometimes if you have a text, you can glean by the language, uh, pull things. That's not easy. It's so easy to do either because it's not... Uh, it's not easy. It's, it's a sutra, which is... It's barely just what's necessary to be said. So you don't get a lot of hints, a lot of cultural hints, historical hints. Uh, uh, Sometimes in dating, like... <coughs> so one thing you can... We get to something, you know, he makes reference to the Sankhya, particular schools of thought. Uh, so you know it came after the development of the school of thought. You can slowly position like this, but it's not really clear. That said, <coughs> the, uh, uh, we're, uh, if you ask many people, do you know anything about Patanjali? They say, oh yes, we know much about Patanjali. Right. What about the scholars? They say, oh yeah, they don't know anything about Patanjali. <laughs> right. Because there's two methods of knowledge. One is, well, it's a... Overall simplification, but in the Vedic system, they have this idea: there's an ascending and a descending method of knowledge. The ascending is what we what we usually do in the Western uh, academic. <coughs> you you gain knowledge, you study, you do research, and you and you slowly you develop the theory, you test that theory, and you and you, uh, and you come up with uh, a working hypothesis and show evidence for that hypothesis. You gain knowledge by ascension. You you start in ignorance and you get knowledge. The ancient uh, yogic system is that a parampara is handed down, right? So the knowledge is passed down from master to student, or from ancient rishis to modern, you know, passed down like this. And so if you ask a yogi sitting by his fire in the cave in the Himalayas, you know, but, oh, yes, yes, we know he, and he recites some mantra like this mantra, right? You know, the mantra has been passed down, no, this, his knowledge details about him have been, passed, have been encoded and passed down for generation, right? Uh, the problem is that these don't always, these two systems and the, the two conclusions don't always match, right? The, the knowledge that's, that's, that that's come, that's people are trying to develop by historical evidence and the knowledge that, the, what's the historical evidence? What's the, what's the evidence? The evidence is not what's in a book, not what can be shown by historical uh, uh, data. The evidence is in the mouth of somebody with authority, right? It's called, we call that an oral tradition. Right, and it's very hard because you think, oh, Patanjali is, we have a book, the Yoga Sutra, right? So, so it's a written tradition. It's not, even that, it's like it's barely a book, right? So you can't really call it a book. Now you have modern commentary that fill it into, it looks like a book, <laughs> right? <laughs> right, there's not a complete sentence in it. So it's, <laughs> if, it's, it's not, if it's a book, it's not a good book, right? These are, these are uh, sound, uh, some in, um, um, uh, uh, ways of passing down something that was heard. Right, and so it's passed down through the authority. Somebody trusts. Somebody has realization. We believe yogis. What's a yogi? Nowadays, we use the word yoga and yogi. Quite, uh, quite. Uh, uh, anybody who's practicing yoga is a yogi. That's one definition. Somebody who's practicing yoga is a yogi. Right. In the and that's a modern definition of yogi, and that's okay. <coughs> Patanjali himself. I'll give you a hint. He says that one of the the, the way a word is defined is by its common usage. He was an expert grammarian also, we'll go into that, right? Uh, so he said, so nowadays we say anybody who's practicing yoga is a yogi, that's the new meaning of, meaning of the word. It's not the ancient meaning of the word. Uh, ancient meaning was somebody who was in yoga, not somebody practicing to get in yoga. 
Yoga means somebody who's in union. What are they in union with? They're in union with the divine, union with the mother goddess, with the power that anim- behind everything, union with the inner self. Uh, and that state of union, somebody that has that state of union, a yogi, right, in that state of connectedness, their words would have a certain type of authority that is different, right? And, and, and uh, just recently I'm remembering... Uh, I haven't gotten the, to my first sentence on my, on my notes. Really but anyways, I don't know how this is going to go. <laughs> you took a risk. <laughs> uh, uh, but one, one very nice yogi, who I believe is a yogi by the old-fashioned definition, right? An old sadhu named, um, you met him also, uh, Anubhava Krishna, right? Very old sadhu. He came to our temple very unannounced, which is also the tradition of a yogi just to show up unannounced, right? And he, were, he was talking a little bit, <coughs> and he was saying, I, I mentioned one of the devotees who I wish he could be here, but he's in school finishing his master's in anthropology of Vedic cosmology, and you know, these cool <laughs> things at the academy. And so, so the topic of a little bit of, of academic approach to spirituality came up. He said, yes, our guru also sends us all to school, right? He says, and, and, uh, and, uh, but he, he didn't send it because some idea is that by, by studying, by having some academic knowledge, and you're an effective teacher, right? You have ability to, you know, like, because he didn't offer that either because he, none of us are teachers. He says, I've never given a lecture in my life, right? He's, uh, I, I live, all of, all of his disciples were are, are hermits. He sent us all small caves, small huts to do our practice. I've been practicing 30 years in this one hut, right, in, on, uh, in near Vrindavan. <coughs> so so that's the, then why did he send you to study? He said, oh, the study, academic study of philosophy and religion, he says it, it stops you from being fanatical. It makes you broad-minded and, and, and deep in your, careful and deep in your thinking. So that has its benefit. But our Guru warned us. He says, don't think that this is the same as real knowledge. Right? He says, he says like, you know, you're, you're studying, uh, he's in, in, uh, in, in the West, we don't have the same deference to our teachers as they do in Eastern traditions, right? So even in, even small children in school are very reverential to their teacher. The teacher walks in, everybody stands up. What to speak of a professor at a university, you give a lot of respect, right? He says, so he says, the difference between your professor and you, what's the difference? Right? He says, there's a huge difference, right? Between the student and the professor, he says, oh, a few books, right? <laughs> a few books and a few years. That's the difference between you. Eventually, you'll learn, you can read those books. You can have those years of study and you'll get the degree, you'll be in the same position. He says, but that's not the same as a saint or a yogi. That's a very different thing. And he says that somebody can write, there's people, I mean, I went to school with these people, I studied with these people, I have a little bit of academic background, very minimum. <coughs> with people who have, they spend, they have three doctorates in theology and philosophy and history of Christianity, for instance, right? Foremost authorities on, 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 on Christian theology. He says, but they they wouldn't they couldn't sit on the same platform of the one who they're stu- who they're talking about, right? And you know, Jesus, if he was a, we're told he was a, a carpenter by profession, childhood profession, it means he had almost no education, right? People have people have doctorates they, to about trying to figure out one thing he said, right? Brilliant, but they have they cannot sit on the same platform as him. Right, what a, with a difference of experience between the full knowledge, full academic knowledge, and the type of knowledge that a yogi would have. Right, so he used he gave many examples like that. He was very being very poetic and powerful. <laughs> that's Swami. That's Swami. But it really struck me. This is the difference between the ascending and descending. So, 
somebody, the professors, my, 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 my professors at school, they, they had a lot of uh, the authority we attributed them because they had they have studied much, right? But the authority of the one who they study, whose words they study in lives, they study in teachings, they study like Jesus or Muhammad or Buddha or Krishna, the, the great masters, right? Their authority is not due to study, right? In the Bible it says that Jesus spoke with one having authority, right? His words are different, right? Where, where, where was his degree? Where did he get ordained? What theological seminary did he go to? It's like that doesn't matter. He has, he spoke with some sort of authority. So the yogis, the authority of the or the oral tradition, which Patanjali is is a perfect representative of, is in the is is in the authority of the speaker, right? And so we we can say some something we know something some guess about his dates and and some there's some mythological stories about that surrounded with his birth, right? But in our in our sadhu tradition, our monastic tradition, it says that we so yes, we know who Patanjali is, right? He's one of ours. You know, we know we they rattle off something like this, a long list of mantras, and one of their name appears there. He's one of, he's in our lineage, right? They say he lived in the forest. He lived by he lived sitting naked by a fire, uh, uh, speaking high truth. His disciples heard, uh, hopefully something, and and had great respect for his words and tried to perhaps write something down. He wasn't. The tradition goes that he didn't sit there and write the book. He spoke things, and his and his students wrote them down, right, and passed passed them down, right. So this is the way the the, the descending knowledge of a parampara is passed down from guru to disciple, guru to disciple, <coughs> and so this has been passed down. We we also, in a certain sense, we also have it this way, even though whenever we can st we, we we buy books, right, we go to yoga classes. It's but it's still what we're what we're reading and what we're what's being passed down is some. Why do, why why do we buy that book, right? Because oh, it has some has something, some magic, something mysterious, right? We we still hold that there's some authority of those who had realized this, and uh, we approach it the way we can, right? We read commentaries, we read you know uh, uh, like this, right? And so similarly, we we go to yoga classes. We all start somewhere in yoga, right? I remember my first yoga class, you know, <laughs> Costa Mesa, thirty years ago. It was great, <laughs> right? <coughs> And and why why is like wow yoga, why is that you know it's like because there's some we know there's something, that and 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 some there's something that somebody has somebody had, right and we want in a certain sense what they had, right so Patanjali we believe Patanjali describes in his Yoga Sutra what a yogi has, right he's describing and we'll go into that. <coughs> So the problem was, given historical uh, date of Patanjali, some people put him uh, 2,400 years ago, some people put him 1,500 years ago. So you can say it's roughly equivalent, give a give a uh, plus or minus of uh, 100 years or so to Jesus' life. You imagine something like that. But the reason it's so difficult is because Patanjali is not was probably not his name, right? Patanjali is is, is a surname. Like my, my my name is Swami Bhajananda Saraswati. He's Ambikananda Saraswati, and our guru was Omananda Saraswati. And his guru is Vishdevananda Saraswati. His guru is Hiranand Saraswati, right? So the thing that's common is the last name, the surname. I guess you call it that surname the, in, in regular. So in guru families, you also have you, you keep the last name of the guru, and it's you know which lineage you belong to, right? Like Paramahansa Yogananda was Giri. Right, so you have to show Giri. You know, though there you can follow the line. Sri Ramakrishna's lineage was Puri. His guru is Totapuri. Right, you can follow. You know, there's different lines like that. So Patanjali is also a name of, of a group of 
a family of yogis. So it could have been, there's, there's different things that could have, there's different texts attributed to them. Maybe they're the same person. Maybe they're different people with the same name, right? Whatever it is, they're people who are related, right? Because they have the same, the same tradition, the same, the same revelation being passed down, right? And he's believed to have written three major texts, right? Of course, the Yoga Sutra that we know, famous. And then uh, one is uh, the, called the Mahab- Mahabhasha. Uh, this is a great commentary on Painini. Uh, who is a great uh, grammarian in ancient India. And grammar is really important in, in uh, study of language and how language works is very important to the ancient yogis, enough so that the, one of the greatest yogis uh, is almost more famous for his grammar uh, than, than, than the Yoga Sutra. And then another text, uh, 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 Charaka Prati Samskrita. This is a book on medicine. But this book is referenced Oh, Patanjali Maharishi's book and such a says like that, but there's no ex- extent copy. It's not, it's been lost, right? Partially because the oral tradition's broken. As soon as you write something down, and nobody remembers it anymore, and if it if that doesn't get copied, it's gone. One generation, it's obsolete, right? So that's one ha- problem that when things get written, when oral tradition gets into the written tradition, it's actually very dangerous, right? <laughs> All it takes is something to run, f- f- uh, come go out of print, and then it's gone. <laughs> But the old tradition is also danger. All it takes is one generation to not be interested, and it's gone. That's a problem, right? So that, unfortunately, text is gone. So he was a great thinker and teacher on yoga, on grammar, and on medicine. And so there is one mantra. It, uh, um, um, I don't have the Sanskrit, but the translation is there. It says, we bow with our hands together to that eminent Patanjali Maharishi, the great yogi, who removed the impurities of the mind through yoga. And you remove the impurities of our speech through grammar. And you remove the impurities of our body through medicine. Right, these are the three. So actually, and, and if we understand the yoga tradition, these three are all very important. Right? Uh, we mix them a little bit and ignore certain parts of it. But that was his, uh, uh, that's the ancient world understanding of who he was. There's some yogi who spoke or realized or taught uh, on these three points. <coughs> Now the 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 uh, um, uh, his his traditional mother is Gonu, Gonik, Gonika. 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 So that's a most famous story, right? That is how we get his name, Patanjali, right? Gonika. Maybe this is why you see him in this form as kind of uh, half of a serp, either sitting on a, on a bed of a serpent or himself half serpent. Right, there's a story that, uh, this is one of the um, ancient stories, that he, uh, Lord Vishnu, the Lord of, uh, uh, the one sustainer of the universe, in the, in the, in the iconography, you usually see him laying on the ocean of causality, ocean of milk, this is a, a meta- deeply metaphorical uh, image, and laying on a coiled, on the heads, on the, on the, on the coils of a thousand-headed serpent, Anantishesha, or Adishesha. Right, and this has very deep meaning. This is the Kundalini. This is potential. This is the Divine Mother herself. There's a lot of uh, we've demonized serpents, right? But in most ancient traditions, serpents are a sign of the spiritual power and awakening and regeneration. A lot of power, and so Lord Vishnu, who represents in the story kind of infinite consciousness, lays in this coiled uh, potential energy of Kundalini that also exists within our body, right? And so one time he was seeing the dance of Lord Shiva. 
Lord Shiva, you've seen that divine, you know, I have an image of dancing Shiva here, right? Do you? No. <laughs> yeah, you're in the back. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so dancing Shiva, he was watching da Shiva dance, and Vishnu was there, and, and, and he was also moving to the rhythm of Shiva's dance. And he was, of course, he's, he's, he's sitting on, on the serpent. And the serpent, and in the movement, he's getting heavier and getting light and getting heavier and light. And it's giving, it's very unusual that somebody, you have the same person on top of you getting heavier and light. This is very, it became very uncomfortable and bewildering. So when the dance was over, he asked his Lord, Lord Vishnu, what happened? What, like this? Oh, you don't understand. When Shiva dances, I, you know, it's like he dances the creation cycles in and out of existence. So my mind follows him. And so I get heavy and light and all the different experiences come. So he was thinking, this is very mysterious. I want to learn how to dance like him. Right? And so he says, okay, we'll give you a boon. One of these days you'll be born, right? Uh, 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 you'll be born on earth. And by the by the grace of Lord Shiva, you'll write a great commentary on grammar. This is this is what he was born, right? Uh, but you'll be a great yogi and you'll and a great grammarian. And at the end, when you finish this work, you'll also learn the art of dance. So the tradition goes. So then he was thinking, who will who will be my mother on earth, right? So he waited to the proper time, and there's um, uh, uh, Gonika. Right, so she was considered uh, in the story a powerful yogi herself, yogini, and a great ascetic. And uh, uh, she was uh, uh, looking at this. One problem is that a yogi, she, she was not she, she, a yogi. She, you know, somebody who's attained that union, then wants to pass it down. Right, you know, the the duty of a yogi. Actually, it's interesting. The duty there's two duties. This is uh, of, of a traditional yogis. Right, to the common people, you give blessings. And to and and then to a disciple you pass on the lineage, right? So she wanted she had that she was she was a blessing to everybody who came to her gave blessings may you be prosperous be happy, may your children be safe you know this giving blessings like that general blessings that a yogi should be somebody in union with the divine, is uh, is a fountain of blessings of that divine, but her higher duty is to make sure that another another generation the book would get published right <laughs> in the mind of of a disciple. Who to be a qualified disciple? Who would be her disciple? Because we sometimes meditate on, like if a path in the forest, one generation doesn't walk the path, what happens? It disappears. Right? That's the danger. Right? So you know, she's looking for somebody to pass it. And I met, actually, it's tradition that a, that a monk is supposed to get, make one person a monk before they die. That's what well, law in the monastic codes, right? And I know, I've met great yogis in the forest in Amrakanta. And he said that they're very depressed because they haven't found a disciple, right? Nobody that we qualify. He says that, you know, hopefully my brother disciples, other will have better, but that the teach unique lineage that's come from my guru will not be passed down. I haven't found anybody yet. So, yeah. you should have had a web page and Facebook. <laughs> you could have easily passed it out, but it's not the same thing, right? So, so she also was praying. So she was doing at the end of her life, you were thinking, who, who am I going to pass down my disciple? So there's a thing, you, it's called Suryargya. We did it actually during the puja. You take water in your hand and you, and you worship the sun, right? And actually this, and, and you chant the mantra. And actually it's even done, one of the benefits of Suryargya is to have a child, right? You can do, if, when there's rituals, when you choose, oh, I want to have a child, Right, and, and you want to invoke a divine being, you, you go to the sun, you, you chant the mantras in the sun, and you offer, you pour that water into a river, onto the earth. It's called, it's a special argya, uh, argya. So she was doing that, and, and th that cosmic thousand hood and saint that this is my chance. She's could be a good, she could be a good uh, uh, mother for me. 
right? She's looking, you know, and so he, he says he dropped as a little tiny, tiny, tiny little snake, you know, something like a tadpole or something like that, little, and dropped into her hands. And she looked down and she sees this little tiny snake. What is this? Right. First, especially if you water, when you're doing these things, anything, if there's any animal that becomes unclean, you know what, what's happened. But all of a sudden, the snake began to grow. Right. And then it became, took on the form. And the stories go, she took all these stories, took on the form of, of, a, of a child. Right. And so that's, uh, 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 I believe, uh, this term of holding your hands together like this, or like this is called Anjali. This is Anjali Mudra. Right. This Anjali means, so she was Anjali. In Anjali, something fell. And that's Pat, I believe, right? The story goes. So Patta and Anjali, right? He fell, he got his name because he fell into his mother's hands as Anjali. And so she trained him in yoga, and then he wrote his commentary. I mean, the story goes like that. That's a simple story. That's a famous, that's the most common story, right? Uh, <coughs> but you, it's like, you, 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 you can't, like, try to convince a, 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 a academic that this is, oh, yes, the oh, reason you don't know because, oh, yeah, he's a little snake. He fell into somebody's <laughs> hand and he grew really big. And he then eventually grew up and he wrote this book. Here, you want a signed copy of it, you know? Like, <laughs> you know so, so this is obviously in the realm of mythology, right? But, uh, but this is still a very deep, deep thing. Um, um, there's another, so if you, but if you were to, if you were to ask, like if you were to go to some Baba in some Himalayan, uh, sitting by his fire at the Himalayas, like, they say, oh yes, yes, Patanjali, we know his lineage, we know his teacher's name, we know his teacher's teacher's name, we know his main disciple's name. And he's like, well, that's different, you know, that, it's not many books, it's not many books, right? But it's in the oral tradition, we, like, you, as you recite these mantras, mantras are recited, then lineages are recited. Uh, um, in, in, in South India, uh, there was a, a Shaivite sage, uh, Tirumular. Actually, there's some South Indians who know how to pronounce it. I'm very bad at South. I'm bad enough at English uh, pronunciation, but uh, uh, Tamil and South Indian languages would be very bad. But he says that he, was, he, he wrote in one book uh, details of, 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 of Patanjali. He said there was a great uh, yogi named Guru Nandi, Nandi Deva. Uh, uh, and he had eight main disciples, right? One of which was Patanjali. Isn't the names are there, right? And he says that he Patanjali had a main disciple um, named uh, Goda Patar. And it's said in the tradition, uh, academics may argue about the dates, but uh, uh, it's said in the tradition that he was one of the teachers of Adi Shankara. Uh, Shankara Chari was one of the great um, kind of reformers of Hinduism. I mentioned he's the founder of our order. So we can also claim, in a roundabout way, uh, a type of lineage to to uh, to the South Indian saint through Patanjali, through his disciple, and, and then it says in that book that he left his body in Rameshwaram. Right? Um, uh, he took Jiva Samadhi in Rameshwaram. There's another story about him that, like I said, there's not many stories. There's three or four stories that, are, that I that I know. Another story is that he. The, the saints of, of, of this uh, uh, of this world, seeing that many people are the yogic tradition has become lost, so they went to Vaikuntha, the, the heaven of Vishnu, and he's who laying on on the cosmic serpent, right? Again, Adishesha, and he says, "You please, we need somebody to teach yoga. Send a yogi." And so Vishnu goes, "Who am I? Who will I send?" He says, "Well, this my sake, he, he can go." Right, so he said that he simply took, and this story didn't fall a little into the palm of anybody. He just he descended to earth and and, to, and and became and kind of as a, as a as a rishi came down to earth, and he says, and so he collected. I shall give my teachings to a thousand disciples, 
Right, that's a nice story. So a thousand sides with him, but he was Yogi is a very strange character. Uh, everybody, everyone I know is a very peculiar person, people. And so he had some rule. He says that uh, we shall put a, 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 a sheet, a screen in front of me, uh, and nobody shall see whether I'm speaking about yoga. Right, I, I shall speak, and nobody should move or leave. If anything happens, then yo also yogis are angry types. Also, those who know me, <laughs> come in a lot tradition of angry yogis, right? Because they're, they're 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 they have a high standard, right? And so, and for criteria for discipleship, right? So I shall speak. Anybody, you know, anybody who deviates from this, you'll be finished, right? It's, this is life and death. You want to study yoga? It's life and death, right? And so he begins to teach, and slowly, slowly, everybody's getting very deep realization, just listening to him. Or as other traditions say, he was just meditating, people were getting yogic understanding, not through word, just by experience. But one of those thousand was a young boy, and he, had, he felt a little bit the calls of nature, and so he went to go uh, under some tree a little distance. And in the meantime, some people began, what's going on over there, and, and people began to fall asleep. And like that, and so he got Patanjali very angry, and and just with one thought, he burned them all to ashes, right? So this is a mythological story also. Right? He burned everybody to ashes, so there's no more. And he's like, just see, nobody was qualified, right? It takes one in a thousand. The Gita says only one in a thousand is interested in me. That's why the number, and of that, of those, one in a thousand attains me, right? This is what Krishna says in the Gita. So it's meant stories about this is meant for a select few. Who are interested? Who are really interested? These people couldn't. Even they were getting some illumination. They fell asleep, or they peaked, or whatever the criteria was. Uh, and so he was sitting there, all upset, you know, surrounded by ash <laughs> of his <laughs> would-be disciples. And this little boy comes back. He says, "What happened?" Right? He says, "You weren't here." He says, "No, no, no. I'm, I'm here. You, you, you continue teaching. I just went to go to the bathroom." He says, "No, but that was one of the rules. You can't leave." Right? But he felt a little bit. At least I had one. Maybe I have one disciple. So he gave. <laughs> He gave he gave the rest of the he gave yogic knowledge to that disciple, right? Uh, disciple's name I don't I don't maybe it's known but I don't know this fully. So that disciple, he says, you see, you still made some mistake, and this is a classic Indian story. And the mistake because you left and came back, you you'll still be punished, right? And the punishment is you'll become a brahmarakshasha. This is like a ghost of some sort, right? Some demonic ghost and live in some they live in India. We have these trees that are possessed by some ghost. Yogi, Brahmarakshasha, these are yogi ghosts, right? <laughs> the worst type of ghosts. <laughs> I've met some yogi ghosts. <laughs> uh, so he sat in the tree waiting for a disciple, right? Because everybody said every guru wants one disciple, right? Somebody to pass on the tradition. Pachanji only had one out of a thousand, and his one looking for. So people come under that tree, and he says, Hey, you, answer this question. And he asks some question, you know, like a troll under a bridge or something, <laughs> right? He doesn't answer the right question, and he and he eats and he eats them up. He's a rakshasha. Rakshashas eat people. That's another little detail. Careful, right? Uh, he eats them up, right? Again, a thousand people he eats, right? Again, one in a thousand is interested. This is the same story. It is meant to be uh, to show that, right? But so then, Patanjali himself says, "No way! I have to make sure the tradition continues," right? So he himself takes on the form of a young boy. Right and goes under the tree. Right, there you he comes under the tree. This is his own disciple who doesn't recognize him now. He's become an angry ghost, a uh, man-eating ghost. Uh, and he goes, hey, is, and he asks some question. Of course, he got his knowledge from the guru. The guru has all all knowledge, right? Uh, so he answered the question properly. He said, oh, this is very good. I found my disciple. Right, come up to the come up under the tree. Come up in the tree. He sits in the tree, and he began to recite uh, all this yogic knowledge. 
Right, so Patanjali, although he is a guru, he became the disciple of the guru, right, in order to make sure that the, the knowledge continues, right? And he said he sat there writing it on, on, on leaves up in the tree, right? And there's a whole story, and the leaves fell, and the leaves might go. There's a whole stories, if you know Indian stories, is, the story always goes on. <laughs> it's always complicated. <laughs> but this is the gist of it, you know. The, the, so this is one of the famous stories of, 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 of but I believe that part of the story is to show that it's meant for uh, uh, most people aren't spiritually hungry. You know, it's meant for. It's for. I, I, one, I one time complained a little bit and said to one yogini, right, one female ascetic, uh, and it says that, that it says in the Gita, right, uh, one in a thousand are interested in me, and of those, one in a thousand attains me. That means one in a million, right? A thousand, a thousand, something like that, right? I'm very bad at math. I studied religion in school instead of math. <coughs> uh, 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 one in a million. He says, well, then there's no hope for us. Yeah, we're, we're not like one in a million. He says, no, no, you should think. Right? Here you are. I mean, at that time, we're sitting in the, in, in, in the Himalayas, in the bank of the Mother Ganga, right, talking about divine things, chanting mantras, or sitting here doing pujas, listening to, to uh, stories of Patanjali. You know, we can think, it's like, it looks like we're one of those one in a million. Right? We should think like that, we, how lucky we are. Right? It's, it's not easy, but the fact that it's a rarefied thing, it's meant to be a rarefied thing, the fact that we're interested is a, is a good sign. Right? It's not like, oh, most people who are interested aren't going to make it. That's maybe true. Right? But actually, Krishna says, anybody, actually, none, my devotees never, never perish. Right? Everybody will make it who's interested. Right? But that, the fact that we're interested means that we're, maybe we're one, you think we're one, one of those. You should think for you a little bit. I'm one of those million, one in a million. Right? Uh, um, Unfortunately, I think I'd probably fall asleep in that. <laughs> but anyways, we have, he's so compassionate. <coughs> so, uh, 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 <coughs> so he wrote, uh, 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 we, we have these two great works, is the Mahabhasha, the commentary uh, of, of the great Grammarian, Panini. Um, and in it, he has one line that says, we don't see. We don't think of grammar the same way in, in, in Sanskrit grammar. Sanskrit grammar itself is a spiritual practice, right? Actually, in, if you go back a hundred years ago, what to speak of two thousand years ago, even a hundred years ago, actually, you considered. And I've actually been told this by yogis, and and, and I'm, I'm very, I have very poor Sanskrit knowledge. Uh, but he says that better you learn the Sanskrit syllables. Right, that's almost more important than other forms of meditation, all asanas, pranayama. To the yogis, this is very important. The yoga means almost it's the union of language and the and consciousness. Right, it's a very deep thing. We don't think like it, but actually, there's in, in linguistics, there's people who are developing that we can't think; we only think in words. Right, and therefore, language reveals and limits. Uh, the, 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 the parameters of our thinking and experience and consciousness. So it's very deep. I mean, there's modern uh, academics who are developing in linguistics, right? But this has been going on for thousands of years, right? Where t t the difference, we've talked about this in our classes at the temple, the difference between uh, ka and ka, right? Between that and that is the universe. Comes in, comes in and out of existence, right? So he makes a comment, so Patanjali himself makes a comment that in his Mahabhasha, that if you... To remove a short to make to remove a short syllable from a sentence, right, right. That is the same as the birth of a son, right. You know, it's like it's like so what could be more wonderful? Which birth of a child, a healthy child, right. You know, it's like that that that, that he's a great yogi saying that there's something 
And so that gives us gives gives a, a, a key a little bit to his sutra writing, right? There's nothing unnecessary in it. He was such a master at language with the maximum information with the minimum language. Even removing half a syllable, he says it's like the birth of a son, right? I mean, the elements of style as it was in, in that little book. If you ever read that book and call it, there's something there's something like that you know, about removing. And this, I forget it. I'm never a good writer, but removing. Uh, he also goes a little bit in his own way into that. Never never say something uh, something complicated. It can be said in simple in simple language. You know, he gives these rule, set of rules like that. So so his so his knowledge so his understanding of language and the way language works and how language. Colors of mind is very, very important. And so some would say, some have said, right, people I know, uh, people of great authority, right, that I consider great authority, says that 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 the ancient world understand that yoga is the union of, of, of speech and consciousness. And the Yoga Sutra then becomes how to do that, or description of how to do that. Right, and so we've separated a lot from our study of grammar, and I myself have very little study of grammar. Uh, so it's hard for me to speak too much about it, but there's a background to that. Also, uh, just read it, uh, yesterday, yesterday Adikesha was there. We have a devotee who studies this very point on grammar. That's what he's working on his doctorate dissertation on. Um, he's, he, uh, I was asking, what do you know about Patanjali? Because I've never read the Mahabhasha. You know, he's done some research on it. He goes, oh, there's one. I don't know much about it, but there's one great line one of my professors wrote or something. Right? And, uh, point. He says that in the ancient world, a Brahmin right the priest was known by 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 the performance of rituals it goes like he said but patanjali changed it he changed the definition or he wrote down the change the changed definition time has changed right and he says that a brahmin is one who knows grammar right <laughs> in other words one who knows language right one who knows the power and the subtlety of language and therefore of thought and of consciousness and of communication and of self-inquiry, everything is in, can be in language and words. So it's an interesting. Another way, simple way, is one who knows Sanskrit. It could be, and that was a switch between the ritualized, uh, away from ritual into 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 study, right? So there's something about that also. But anyway, there's little points about 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 him. Uh, <coughs> so I don't know how far you want me to go, but I'm <laughs> uh, uh, let me find something here. There, uh, uh, so in, uh, if he's a great yogi, and he's describing, so and we know Yoga Sutra, and in the essence of the Yoga Sutra. So what is Yoga? So um, of course, you I think you recite these regularly. But the in 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 the what's the, the first mantra is. So now an inquiry into yoga. So now he's describing yoga. See, that's good because she's better at this. <laughs> <laughs> The, the, the movement has moved from the definition of a Brahmin is no longer one who does rituals, the one who knows how to chant mantra. We bow to you with <laughs> great love, respect and devotion. But on this day of Patanjali's study, we have to honor his, def his new definition. New definition means 2,000 years. <laughs> right. so, so he's describing what is yoga. Right. So, and so, uh, uh, so we usually think of yoga as Yoga, we all probably know yoga comes from the word, uh, from uh, yuj, which is similar, we get the word yoke, a connection or union, we have some of the idea, and, and the idea of like yoking oxen together, or something like that, that type of yoke, right, yuj. Um, uh, uh, so what is it that we're in union with? So a simple answer, that we're in union with the divine, with the, with the mother goddess, with the powers of nature, 
but is because Patanjali, the background philosophy was that of, of Sankhya, and the background uh, and, and the competing thoughts of that of Sankhya and Vedanta, we have to we have to assume a deeper a, a deeper stance, uh, well, or not a deeper stance, but a, de- uh, a more subtle interpretation of what it means to be in union with the with the mother goddess or with with the spirit behind everything. And the yogis, they say that there's there's uh, in grammar and in logic and in, and there's a difference between an object and the subject. That's a very, I guess that's almost a fundamental difference in grammar, between an object and a subject, right? And so that's also, if we were to uh, separate that a little bit, that's this, we could say the seer and the seen, right? That's another distinction. So uh, we say the seer is the subject and the seen is the object. Then you have the process of seeing, right? And so yogis are interested in both the Sankhya system, which is a background philosophical system to Patanjali, and the Vedantic system, uh, in in that distinction, they say that that we see so many things, but we don't see the seer, right? So we say we know many things, we don't we don't we don't know ourselves. You could say that's a, in common language, right? Right? We don't know ourselves, or to get more of the self, right? And and so so it becomes very, even that simple distinction between subject and object becomes fundamental to the whole problem of spiritual realization between the seer and the seen. And the problem, why we don't see the seer, is because we're constantly seeing the scene, right? It's very hard. To, I mean, I don't see myself. But there's something to it. There, there's a, I quoted this, and recently I was telling, I've been using this example. It's from the Vedantic uh, commentaries. Uh, 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 the people who've commented on Shankaracharya's commentaries and Sureshacharya's commentary on the Upanishads have said, this is the way Indian <laughs> systems work, right? So I'm not the only complicated one there. <laughs> I come from a long line of making things complicated. Uh, but he says something very interesting. He says, there's a story, it's called the story of the ten friends. Right? And Sanskrit even means, translates the story of the ten friends. And, and so it's ten friends are go, go to the bank of a river, Right, and they need they want to cross the river to go on a picnic, right? And at that time, there's no boatmen available, and the river is a little bit flowing. But they think, well, should, what should we do? We can't go on our picnic. There's no boatmen. He says, well, we, we're we're not bad swimmers, right? We can probably. It's not dangerous. It just have to be careful, right? We're all know roughly good enough swimming. We take care of each other. So I said, let's go. So they, they the ten friends swim across the ocean, across the river. At the end of it, look, let's make sure we all made it, right? So uh, so. Uh, Kamalakanta count, right? So he goes, one, two, three, four, uh, I go, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. Oh no. One of us is missing. There are ten of us, and now there's only nine, right? So definitely, maybe one of us died. Well, which one of us? Like, none of us, I, nobody can think which one is missing. Let's count again. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. No, 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 let me count, let me count. He counts one, two, three, four, five, seven, eight, nine. And so they all start, start crying. Right? Because somebody, one of their friends, they know one of their friends has died. They don't know which friend has died. But also that's another, that, you think that very distinction between object, subject and object is important. It's said in this tradition that, that from that distinction, the whole world of fear and of, of lamentation, of loss and fear, uh, gain, all comes from this mistake. Right, because of that simple fundamental mistake between object, subject and object, the world of suffering comes. Right, so it is important. Right, for a yogi, it is important. So somebody else sees these four, these, these, these. Actually, there's ten. The ten of them are crying. Right, and uh, somebody who says, "What brothers? What happened?" He said, "Oh, we, we, we. Uh, there's, uh, we're originally ten of us. One of us has drowned, so we're lamenting. We're going to tell their wife." 
<laughs> we can tell their, their children. <laughs> they're ready. The whole thing with their wife is going to be uh, their children. Who's going to take care of their children? Who's going to raise their children? You know, the whole thing expands from this from the thing. One of their friends has died. The guy in the conversation, he can just look around the room and see, or look around around the tree and see there's there are ten there. So count again. Let me see you count. And, he, and I go one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. See, nine. And that person takes his hand and goes ten. Right. <laughs> He forgot the, the the one counting was also one of the ten, right? That's the problem is that we, in the looking of the others we forget we lose the subject, in in, in looking in looking for the object we lose the subject, and so Vedanta and Sankhya say exactly the subject can never be known, right? Because it's an, an anything known it becomes an object, right? So to say know yourself how is it possible yourself is never an object of knowledge it's always a subject. Right and 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 the Vedanta also said that subject and, and God, the absolute Brahman, and the individual are also not different. They're just two ways of think, thinking about the same thing. So how do you know God? Is God can never be a subject, never be an object, right? Can never be object. So so what, so that case we should give up, right? We can never know God. We can never know the self, right? We can't. But we, even that simple story, we can. We know by by inference that the subject is there, right? The fact that there's a subject, the fact that, that I can see you means I'm seeing you. What is it that I think, therefore I am, type of idea, right? Right. So the very proof of it, and actually some people use a challenge in, in the Vedanta, the, the people of different philosophical system, would challenge there's no, uh, there's no, there's no self, right? He says, how do I know there's, I, I, there's no self? He says, the fact that you're saying there's no self, you're saying that there's no God, you're saying that, no, that I don't exist, you're saying it. You're not noticing. The fact that you're counting means that you exist. The tenth person exists, right? So this very, so the problem is how to know the seer, Right, so, so yoga means to be in union with the seer or to know the seer, but it's how is it possible? The seer can never be an object, right? So, mantra two, you're on. <laughs> so, so this is the, the secret, right? So, uh, 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 this every most people have probably heard this definition of yoga. This is his first definition. Actually, this is the, the definition of yoga. There's different definitions. This is his definition of yoga. He's approaching not just as some, in some religious way. He's dealing with a, as a grammarian. Right? <laughs> we have a very clear understanding of such fundamental ideas of subject and object and, and their absolute uh, importance. Right? And so he says that, that the, the problem is that since we're always, think, we're always seeing externally, we're always seeing ob- objects, we don't see... We can't see the subject because the subject's not an object of perception, as I said. Right? Uh, what's the problem? Is that the mind is constantly fluctuating. The mind is buzzing, right? Constantly, constantly agitated, right? The mind, not just the mind, the intellect is unsteady. The mind is unstable. The chitta itself, which is the very substance of the mind, and it's, it's in yogic psychology, we don't just have like mind and ego, it's pulled apart into. So sometimes it's translated as mind stuff. It's kind of a weird definition. We don't have mind stuff in English as an English concept, but the very substance of the mind. You have the mind, and like, like we have the body and then the flesh. Two different things, but the same thing, right? So like that, the mind stuff. So it says that the, the mind stuff is agitated, right? And with that, another way of saying that we're, we're, we're perceiving, we're externalizing, we're, we're in the object, of, in, the, in the process of thinking or the process of perceiving, of interpreting, which automatically creates a dual, the, the fundamental duality of subject and object. Right? And, uh, uh, so the first, the first duty of the yogi, by his definition here, is that to attain the state of yoga is that the mind should become steady. 
or still, right? Akleya says nirodana means to completely restrained, right? Uh, uh, nir means in every possible respect in this in this definition, right? And rodha means to like stop, still, to restrain, right? And what is it? The chitta vritti, the the vritti, the movements, the vibration in the chitta. It's simple in our common language in the mind. When the mind is perfectly still, what does that mean? Not thinking between subject and object. Not objectifying something. Not looking for something else. Not perceiving something outside of itself. And therefore making that initial split between subject and object. Right? Uh, uh, that is yoga. Well, that's not easy. <laughs> right? So, uh, so actually you, could, you can think the other 196 verses. What, how many verses? 193? Something like that. Right? Verses are, in a certain sense, describing... Uh, the effects, uh, processes, the of how to do this, uh, the benefits, processes, and effects of how to do this. Um, uh, so then, in verse three, can you chant? So tada drastuhu. So drastuhu is so. If we go into grammar, it's the possessive uh, case of drastri. Uh, drastri uh, means seer. Right, so then again you have seer and seen, object and subject. Right, right. So then, when the when the when the chitta, the vritti is in the chitta, the, the movements of the mind are completely, hundred percent stilled and and stopped. What happens? Right. Then the 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 seer, the drishti, swarupe sarupa sarupe means swarupa. Swarupa, rupa has two meanings. Rupa means form. Rupa means self. So it's like, oh, swarupa means its own, one's own self. Uh, the swa is your own nature, swarupa, right? Uh, um, uh, avastanam, right? Avastanam means one is uh, um, established or exists within, right? So when the, when, the, when the chitta or the movements of the mind are completely still, what happens? I mean, there's no more object and subject than the subject rest in its own essential nature, right? That is yoga, right? So that is a very difficult thing, but that is the definition of yoga, right? That is the, that's the picture of a yogi. One who, so one who knows himself, not, be, not because becomes an object of knowledge, when, 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 when the mind stops and everything is still, then the seer just shines in his own glory, right? We're not, and the thing is, we're always shining in our own glory, Right, it's like we're, if we're counting, we're always we're always going me and then you and then me and then you and every object we're, we're we can't see an other without without uh, declaring ourselves, but in the thought of the other we lose ourselves, right? So we can see it, it. There's another process where in the very process, the very fact of seeing we we reveal ourselves, but that's not easy, right? So that's not so in meditation, we practice. Let's practice for at least a second. Right, or ten seconds, or twelve seconds, or twelve minutes. I mean, the, the yoga give definitions of what happens if you can do this for a certain amount of time. When the, when when there's no no object of thought, and the thinker becomes the object of thought. Right, it it sees itself. Right, one 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 of my guru bhais, he's a brother disciples, he said it's like a, a mirror, you know, with the light of the of the sun, you show you 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 shine the light of the sun on all kinds of things. Right. On the, but you can also shine a rack back, back on the sun, right? The mind becomes a reflection, and you, the self is reflected in the in, in the in the in the mirror of the mind when the mind is perfectly still. 
So this is actually a very big thing. Right? <laughs> so my, uh, uh, my Guruji, uh, he w I met him when he was already almost in his 90s, as somebody of great authority and somebody who I believe had had such experience. We've been lucky to meet such yogis. And he says, actually, my guru, his guru told him, think nothing. That was his instruction, right? Because this is a definition. Stop the mind, right? It's, uh, so he says, I tried, right? Not easy, but he tried, right? And he, uh, due to this practice, he got some success. If any success he got is in this practice. But then he told me, this, he says, but it's actually really hard to think nothing. <laughs> right? <laughs> right? So he says there is another thing that the yogis say. Think one thing. Right? This allows us to think. That, that's because we thin out. This is a way, because when you're thinking a million things, it's a million ripples on the, on the surface of the mind. Right? You think one thing, you begin to still, begin to focus. Right? Begin to, that's the, then, you have, then all of a sudden you end up with processes of meditation. Right, you know, like constant, whether it's dharana and dhyana, and these are concentration and and then and, and, and focus and this trying to think one thought. And what is that one thought? Right, Patanjali himself. I don't have those verses in front of me, but Patanjali says that there is there is that supreme being that controls everything. That's the source of everything. That theologians and religionists and the scriptures called Ishvara, means a controller, God. We that's a good way for God. The Christian name of God is Ishvara, right? He says, and his indicator is Om. He's indicated by some name. I mean, it can be any name, but Om has a very significant name, or the name of God, right? Or you can say, but his indicator is God, or, you know, or Kali, or Shiva, or Krishna, or Allah, or Jesus, you know, Jehovah, some indicator. He says, and Japa and uh, uh, Dhyan and Bhavana, no, uh, uh, Japa and Bhavana is the method. I forget that you may actually know those words. Japa, hmm? You know, you know that verse? Yeah. yeah. So it says, japa means the re repetitive uh, concentration, right? And bhavana means very deep absorption into what it means, right? So this is one method of thinking one thing. But what's the object? It's that self, which is not knowable, never an object of knowledge, right? Never the seen, always a seener, seen, always a seer. We can also think of it, right? We can make it as if a thought, one divine thought, right? We can't think nothing and just rest. On, I mean, ideally, it's think nothing and rest in your own divine glory. Pow, right? Or if that's not working for you right away, <laughs> right? There's a, there, 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 there's a few steps before that is think one thing. That self, that one consciousness, which in religion we call Ishvara, in philosophy they call the self, in grammar we call the the, the, the subject, right? If you think of it in all these different ways, right? Right? Make focus only on that. Right, we make as if an object, uh, an object of the subject, right? And but then what happens when when the object and subject, when the, the object of meditation becomes continuous in the stages in the in the Patanjali system, right? So then 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 the distinction between the object and the subject disappears, right? Another way of saying that the self rests in its own nature, right? That's called yoga or samadhi, or uh, there's different the, the, the yoga sutta uses its own language for it, right? Uh, um, but that's, you know, you can see where grammar fits into it and philosophy like this, right? And so one thing we know about Patanjali, the famous thing we know about Patanjali's yoga system, we call it the Ashtanga system, the eightfold, the eight-ringed, eight-limbed, I guess is the proper definition. And one of the problems, perhaps, is we come to yogic things and the oral tradition and the mystical tradition the yogis passing down, we come as Westerners with Western education, Western religion, Western bag, Western conditioning, right? We want... We, we we have we, we want uh, we want a uh, guidebook, we want a 
manual. And so we think, oh, the Yoga Sutra is a manual, instruction on meditation, instruction on yoga. Right, first do this step, then do this step, then do this step. If you have this problem, then do the solution. Right, uh, uh, and, and that's how we get, but it's, I also think of it, I mean, I, when I start, you, you, you open it, oh, what do we do in yoga? What's the next step? Or what's the next, you know, it's instruction manual, instruction manual. But it was, it's not believed to have been, in the oral tradition of yogis, it's not believed to be an instruction manual. Right, uh, it's not a, uh, uh, what was that term we use, uh, Rampuri uses, it's not prescriptive, it's descriptive. Right, so prescribing is like, oh, do this, thou shalt, or spread the word, you know, have you heard the good news? Patanjali, 2,000 years ago, <laughs> fell from earth, had a little snake in, the, in somebody's hand of water to teach us a method of reuniting with God. It's not, it's not the system, right? Go and spread the word, right? Uh, uh, uh. It's, not that, it's, not, it's not telling anybody to do anything. It's describing a yogi, right? It's describing somebody in samadhi. Right, and so and so, and usually we think, and I also I I used to give, I've given talks incorrectly on this very point, and argued the point, argued the point even that uh, that the the yoga system these this is these are these are rungs on a ladder, right? First there's uh, uh, yama, and then niyama, and then there's asana, and there's pranayama, and pratyahara, you know the the, the the the, and you can't go, you have to do this in order to do that, and do that, and do that, to the next one. But that's not what's being described. It's being described. Anga means limbs, right? So, so it's not like first, first you develop your feet and then you develop your hands. No, the feet and hands grow simultaneously, right? Your, your, stu- your, your health is one thing and your mind another thing, but you, 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 you develop your body as you, and develop your mind simultaneously, right? So they're, they're limbs, each limb. So he's describing the eight limbs of a yogi. This is the traditional yogic understanding. Not the way I studied it, not the way it's usually taught in books. Right, you least as, as instruction. This is a description. A yogi has developed, has all these eight limbs, right? That he's in samadhi, he has concentration, he's withdrawal, he's not attached to the external uh, things of the senses, he's uh, fixed in certain uh, moral or ethical or behavioral principles, right? He he's steady pose, his breath is controlled. You know, that is describing a yogi, right? Now, what do we do with that? It's like, well, we want to be a yogi. Right. If we want, to, if we want that state, we can look. What do you, what does a yogi look like? Right. And so Patanjali given a, a hint at what a yogi looks like. Right. Uh, so it's interesting that itself revolutionized my way of thinking. Even it's a it's a small difference between prescription and description. Right. But uh, it's, I think it's very very important. <coughs> and so, but remember the reason he gives a system, or or he's not giving a system. That's the problem. We always said the Stanga system. It's it's the language is wrong. I've made the mistake. My I can't even even trying to correct the mistake. I can't. I I, I use the word, language. There's a problem with language. We have to be. Patanjali came to purify our language as well as our body and our and our minds, right? Uh, so we have to be careful in our in, in, in language. The uh, uh, um, the eightfold not eightfold the eight limbed. That's a better eight limb. The eight limbs of yoga, right? So they're developed simultaneously. At the same time. If I if I have my body here, you know, it's like my feet. At, my feet develop at the same time as as, as as my hands, right? But at the same time, you can also say the feet are found in some way a foundation, right? So they're also important. So so the yamas and niyamas we use. I used to say, and even from little raised platforms, microphones in my face, screaming at people to. You're gonna follow yamas niyamas. You can't be a yogi unless you follow. You know, it's it's also true, but 
not the way I thought, <laughs> right? Is it, it, because it's it, it is a it is a foundation. You have to build a foundation continuously, right? And if you build a, if you build, we sometimes think, if you build a building without a foundation, what's going to happen? The building's going to fall down, right? So you're building an accident, right? Guaranteed, right? So the yoga, yoga the description of a yogi is not just somebody who's good at meditation, not just somebody who's good at, who has a still posture. And controlled prana, right? And concentrate. And concentrate. Actually, uh, the yogi he's describing is somebody whose foundation is also very strong in the yamas and niyamas, himsa, satyam, brahmacharya, you know, these uh, the traditional foundational things. They're not required. You don't have to be per- morally perfect to, to progress. You grow continuously, right? The body grows, but if you grow your body with, and you're, with a weak feet, you're going to fall. Or you build a building without also concentrating a little bit on the quality of cement and rebarb and everything in the foundation, it will fall, right? So it's very, very, very important also. Um, how, how, what do you, you have to give me guidance because I can talk all night. <laughs> so. Tell me whenever you'd like. Okay, okay, well, it's not okay, we should probably, okay, also, well, 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 uh, uh, there's an interesting one, 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 one point in, in, because this, this is a tradition dedicated to Patanjali and the lineage of Patanjali and the knowledge and teaching of Patanjali. But it's also a tradition where Hatha Yoga is very expertly taught, right, and, and, and carefully practiced, right. And my own tradition, I'm not a very good Hatha Yoga. I used to be more when I was uh, younger. Uh, uh, um, my guru was a ex- very expert uh, Hatha, Hatha Yogi, and his guru was extremely expert Hatha Yogi. And so our lineage we live, you know, you'll see if I... I don't think I'll, <laughs> my health is not like that because I'm not a good yogi practicing this way. But uh, uh, you know, our guru lived to be into his 90s. His guru lived to be 104. His guru to live to be 108. Not just 108 in perfect health. 108. You know, like yogi, like what we think of, like almost right out of a comic book type of yogi. You know, the long hair and you know, living. You know, uh, most outrageous physical practice. He was very expert at. Um, so we also know that tradition of hatha yoga. And 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 uh, but it's interesting how the how the traditions of Raja Yoga, Patanjali, Hatha Yoga, of of the not yogis, which comes from a slightly different tradition, from the same ultimate source, but a different tradition, uh, uh, and then and then Vedanta and the philosophical uh, systems have kind of merged, right? And and Patanjali mentions only what is his definition of of of, uh, of asana? It's like sthira and, and sukha. What is it? What is it? Stira Sukhasana, right? Steady, fixed, steady, and easy, comfortable. One way, I mean, you can describe it, oh, that one, there's a way, there's a way, so this is a general definition, right? So actually, this is asana, right? Describing a yogi, somebody who's, who's comfortable and fixed and still, because the mind, has, the body has to be still, the mind has to be still, prana has to be still. This is part of the vritti idea, right? Stilling the vrittis, right? But uh, uh, there's other yogis, Right, uh, Patanjali is one important lineage of yogis. There's other important lineage of yogis coming uh, from Goraknath, Masandranath. These are called the Nat yogis. The, the classical Hatha yoga system we have comes from them, right? But the systems are not so separated, right? We absorb; they inform each other. They're brother like like brother disciples or cousin brothers, you know. So they've informed each other. Uh, 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 where like our Guru's ashram is called Yoga Vedanta Kutir, right? Yoga and Vedanta are philosophically opposing schools. But they're, they've informed each other, 
right? So the philosophy of Vedanta and the practice of yoga and, and asanas and pranayama have all merged into effective method, right? So in uh, there is other the, uh, uh, there's a Shiva Samhita, uh, Shiva Samhita and, and Giranda Samhita that gives the the process of hatha yoga the, the actual science of of the asanas, and there Lord Shiva himself the second verse of the Shiva Samhita has a very beautiful line. He says, "I, Lord Shiva, the original yogi, right, uh, uh, the self of all, out of uh, the lover of all the devotees, right, am revealing this esoteric science of asanas, of yogasana. He says, yogasana vidya, the science of, of yogasana, right, for those who who have disciplined minds and who are looking up at me, right. So this means that it's not it's that uh, the the science of the physical postures." And, and the energies and states of realization that they can produce is meant for those who, who are trying to free themselves from physical consciousness and have the highest uh, goal, right? Who wants to see me? Which Vachanji would say that's the self, the seer, the, the whole thing. So the process, so the whole, all the systems merge very beautifully together. Um, so I think we'll, we can end there because I can go, we can go on for, is there any comments or questions or? Knows better, but that's <laughs> the proper answer. But <laughs> we always give it <laughs> a, a 13 second chance before I get up. <laughs> Joking. Anything? Okay. Thank you so much. Jai Thakur Jai Patanjali Maharishi Ki Jai Ho.